Now, we're often told that it is imperative to share openly and freely with the people that we work with. But despite that, so few of us are actually able to do it. Whether it's providing feedback to someone on a positive or negative experience, sharing thoughts on a business strategy, or even suggesting a way to improve the way you work, most of the time we tend to keep our thoughts to ourselves rather than to share them with those around us. But what happens when a company doesn't look to their people as a source of insight? We sit down with Lily Stone and David Stern from Enterprise Investigations, and we chat about the importance of speaking up to create a culture of trust, but most importantly, how to avoid bigger issues that can cause havoc if not addressed properly. From the team at Helix, I'm Tim Mullen. This is the science of us. A podcast about who we are, how we behave, and why. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Helix www.helix.com At Helix, we help you understand your people, track progress, and stay connected. Check out the website to learn more. Lily and David, welcome to The Science of Us. Thanks, Tim. We're really excited to be here. Tim, great to be here. We, uh, we can't wait to get into it. Well, I can't wait to get into it either, so let's just get into it. You run a company called Enterprise Investigations. What is that all about? So what's your work day-to-day look like? Because that will provide context for the rest of the conversation. Sure. So I guess to just start from the beginning, Enterprise Investigations is a law firm and we specialise in helping organisations deal with employee complaints and incidents that arise. And those things might arise from things like employee misconduct, sexual harassment, bullying, discrimination, those kinds of things, as well as safety issues or concerns, whistleblowing processes, that sort of things. And I guess to give you a practical idea of what that actually means, there's probably two key aspects of what we do. The first is undertaking workplace investigations, and we do that on behalf of organisations into employee complaints and incidents. So we would go into an organisation as an impartial third party, conduct interviews, gather information, evidence uh, that we review and consider. And then we deliver findings that the organisation then uses to make decisions about how they want to move forward from that situation. Okay. And how how did you both get into this? Because it's, it's quite a specialist line of work and some quite meaty sort of topics right there. You're obviously both lawyers previously before you started your own firm. Why this particular area of expertise? Tim, you're <coughs> absolutely right. Um, we are both lawyers and that comes with its own challenges in terms of what we're doing and the changes we want to kind of make in this area because law can be quite a, uh, a staid, I guess, industry in some ways. But I think what we both saw was this incredible opportunity to align really great legal outcomes with improved business performance mm-hmm. for, for our clients. Now, uh, in lot, lots of businesses, that kind of thing forms the mainstay of, of uh, what lots of businesses do. But I think in law, it's probably sad that we find this a bit exciting. But I think traditionally for, for businesses, law has been seen as a little bit of a necessary burden. Yep. Um, and they don't generally look to the legal outcomes in the business for, for 
big growth and performance improvements. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, obviously, legal issues, legal risk are, are, are huge things and every business needs to tackle that and tackle that well. But I think it's quite rare that your legal work can really drive uh, your client's overall business performance. Yeah. And that was really exciting to us. Um, we both come from really quite traditional legal backgrounds. I was a barrister for about eight years and yep. Lil was a partner at um, a, a Sydney law firm. And I think we both, we stayed in touch. We went to university together and we both expressed frustration from time to time that we would see all of this really skillful hard work Mm. done by lawyers Mm. (coughs) and the clients and they'd get these fantastic results. But often with the legal side of things, you'd be getting the client back to where they started from. Yep. So you'd be taking them back to zero. Yep. And all of this fantastic work, really high intellectual horsepower, amazing effort from yep. people. Yep. And the client would walk away, understandably, thinking, well, that's kind of where we started from. Yep. It's really important work, but I think they then have a tendency to go, oh, God, we really don't want to be in that situation again. Yep. Having that kind of legal spend and all the things that we associate with it. So I think for us... It was, it's really just come at the right time because I think businesses, and this is something you would understand so much about at Helix, uh, it's a time, I think, in human history, if you like, not to be too dramatic, but uh, where we're probably ready to see how much the people side of organisations can drive performance. Yeah. Um, and that's really exciting for us because we have access to a huge amount of information looking yeah. at the probably the, the crisis management side of things when incidents do happen they're often serious we get yeah, stuck into yeah. that and we work out what's happened but to then use that information to help businesses a make sure that it doesn't happen again or try to improve things overall but b just drive engagement and and just see their business really take off yeah. when you get these things right now there, there's a couple of things that i wanted to pick up on from in what you both said um i think lily you mentioned about clients wanting a third party to come in i think david you sort of talked about it, it seemed to me that legal is often this thing is almost like not an afterthought but it's only sort of get them involved when there's something that's that's wrong so from the point of view of of why you exist today like why do you think there is room for a company like yours today to do the work that you do if in terms of getting that third party in to provide some kind of insight that they company can't get themselves sure so I think there's a couple of things um, just following on from what Dave said about the timing of our decision we we both recognized that um, this was an area where employee and cultural expectations had taken off and had changed yep quite significantly but we saw organizations really struggling to catch up to that and I could see that in the legal work I was doing as a partner that employees wanted more and organisations didn't have the infrastructure and didn't know how to deliver that. So that was part of, I guess, the other part of the work we do, which is building tools and delivering solutions Mm -hmm. for organisations to deliver that preventative stuff or to just deal better with things when they do occur. But in terms of having someone external come in, we find clients really love that because firstly the time the work that we do is highly skilled and yep. specialized so most people aren't trained to do it yeah it's quite confrontational often you're asking people about very personal and quite confronting things yeah so not everyone is 
able to do that or wants to do that. Yep. And often it's people you work with that have been involved in these kinds of situations. So um, the other thing is from a legal point of view, there's very strict requirements on how these things are conducted and being impartial and unbiased is very critical yep. to delivering a proper process. Do you think, and again, just listening to you there talking about the benefits of a third party, what is the main thing that people do struggle with though in terms of, it sounds like conversations, just having conversations. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it sounds like when you're talking about some of these things that are maybe a bit more confronting, we know as humans we don't deal with that well. We know that giving feedback to one another is really difficult to do. Is it just because you're like, do you think that just because at your level that's definitely the case or just in general we actually struggle with it and therefore having someone come in, people can actually open up and confide in someone that they feel is disconnected from their immediate surrounds? Yeah, I think, I think obviously everyone's different and some people are more open in terms of feedback, but I guess the process we do Part of what we do is centred on feedback, but that's more related to the preventative things. In terms of the actual crisis management, mm -hmm. there's quite a strict legal process that needs to be followed. There's formal allegations that need to be yep. formulated and put to the participants. There's a lot of quite technical legal things like gathering evidence, assessing the evidence properly. So there's, I guess, two different skill sets there. Yep, yep. And now from that point of view of let's look at it, let's keep with that theme of when you're at the point of actual crisis, how from when you, when you go in and actually have these conversations, is it actually very apparent very quickly how those organizations got there? And is it then sort of you kind of come in and say, well, this is how we then could have avoided it? Because I suppose the next conversation will, after that as well, will progress is how do you actually go to that preventative side? But if we stick with the crisis to show, to show how bad it can get, are there signs of when you go in straight away of toxicity that things have been forming for a few months? There's a buildup of events, whatever it might be. How apparent is it to you guys when you go in that there's a crisis? And can you actually just see it because you've already, you do this quite a lot. Can you just see it so clearly as soon as you walk in? Tim, um, I, from my point of view, having done this for a long time uh, and kind of been in the, I suppose, the litigation space where you are talking to people and, and dealing with problems and then moving into this investigative side, my answer to that, the short answer to that is often yes. Uh, the only caveat I would say about that is I think sometimes we have a tendency to treat all businesses the same the same way or think of all businesses the same way and to be fair to a lot of businesses particularly really big businesses they just by virtue of their size they're not a cohesive single organism yeah. if you like and we're really fortunate to work with some really big clients and I think something you've got to understand in the on the bigger side of, of the client scale is those things that might happen within the business they need to be uh, looked at in terms of a slightly more local kind of team issue rather than Got a you. complete s systemic kind of organizational problem sometimes it's both yeah but that's a good place to start i think probably to better answer your question uh there's some really intangible elements there when you get into these into the room and, and start talking to people mm -hmm. and those kind of things Things like tone, uh, obviously there's always going to be stress, there's always going to be worry when you when you speak to people, mm -hmm. particularly when the incidents are serious, yep. that's a given yep. and that's very understandable. Uh, but 
something that I've really noticed and I think it's really significant for for businesses is you can have exactly the same situation, the, mm. the same issue that comes up in two different businesses. And when you go in and talk to the staff, uh, particularly people who are there as witnesses or people who, who are looking to help and, and just give you information, they are really working with the business to deliver a great outcome yep. in, in, in that situation. And I'll, yep. I'll just explain what I mean by that. Uh, they know that the organisation's taking it really seriously. They know that the organisation is going to be accountable and really receptive to understanding what's happened and why. Yep. And you can just tell that they have the kind of buy-in there where they don't want to see the organisation damaged either or, or have mm. their workplace become a, kind of a, a worse place to be. Yep. Um, and that's really interesting to contrast that with going in and the tone and the kind of collective atmosphere can just be a lot of panic. Yep. We don't know what's going to happen here. We're worried about our own involvement. We're worried about what we're saying. We're yep. watching what we're saying yep. because we don't, we may not trust the organisation to make the best use of the information we're giving you. Yep. So they're probably the two really broad. I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a lot here, yeah, but yeah. that's something you can pick up quite quickly. Can I stay on that that notion of trust as well? Because when you get to this point in time where things are at crisis and there's obviously now no one wants to be there, but nevertheless you are there, why haven't people spoken up before then and how and to get to that sort of point in time of preventing then something that could have been prevented? Like why do we struggle so much with speaking up, do you think, particularly when it comes into a workplace context? That's a really great question. I think it gets at the core of so much of what we do and what we see. I think my simple answer to that, or my, my thoughts, would be in some ways we've inherited models that don't work for us mm -hmm. that well in the, in the business and organisational sense. Yep. And I think the aspects of that that are important and this, I think, happens with all change, all major change, and that's the kind of change we're seeing here. I think businesses, by and large, are trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But traditionally, when we think about complaints and when we think about issues coming up, we have a really uh, visceral, instinctive reaction that that's bad, a complaint's yep. bad, yep. and, and we've, we're now going to have to clean it up, yep. maybe cover parts of it up, we don't want this getting out to stakeholders. We don't want other staff understanding what's happened here. Yep. And that's all really understandable. But they are models that I think hopefully have been in the rearview mirror and, and are going to become further in the rearview mirror. Yep. And I think that's really important because traditionally staff, your people, when they're talking about these things with anyone, whether it's the organisation, whether it's external people like us, they have innately felt because of the way certain things have happened in the past uh, that there's very little upside to participating mm -hmm. and quite a lot of downside. Yeah. And th I think where that leads a lot of people historically is to think that if I do say things here, it's really not going to lead to very much change. Mm. It's not going to lead to anything that... That I, I see as positive. Yeah. 
And so this is a societal thing that we've basically just been so conditioned over however many years that, that this is just the way it is. And therefore, as you said, great to leave it in the rearview mirror. But fundamentally, there's like our brains are almost wired that way. Uh, uh, absolutely. And I think the it, something that Lil and I talk about a lot is if you really break it down into really simple terms, a complaint or an issue, once you're notified of that, that's feedback. It might not be the feedback you want. But it's feedback and feedback is really valuable and it's an agent for change. So I think if we can even make that simple shift in our mindset there, which is just seeing it as a bit of an opportunity because your staff are telling you something, Mm. someone's telling you something. Mm. It may or may not be, the the importance might vary and that's something that you need to assess and and kind of work through. But, uh, we live in a time where every business talks about, oh, we're so interested in feedback. We, we just want feedback. We, we, we want that kind of interaction. Yep. Complaints and issues are in, its, in their simplest form. It, it's feedback. And, and it's really, really valuable if you make the yeah. right use of it. Yeah. And do you think then, how are managers set up to deal with complaints? Because a lot of the complaints that actually that come are generally, they start obviously you know, at that sort of ground level, if you want to call it that. The first point of call for a lot of these people is managers. You know, I've seen it in the number of businesses where people do raise these things, but the managers then don't do anything about it. So, but then one person above them said 100% they would have done something about it if they'd known about it. Is it fair to say that managers are more or less responsible for the success or the failure of a feedback flow from the, from the ground up? Tim, I think that really depends on the structure of the organisation. And what we tend to see is a spectrum of the way organisations deal with this. And as by the organisation, I mean everyone in the organisation from mm-hmm. very junior people right up to the leadership and leadership teams and at a board level. So the bottom end of the spectrum are people who have organisations who have nothing in place to deal with these things and therefore yep. they do nothing. Then there's the middle road, which is they've got the organized, they've got the policies and procedures in place, but no one knows about them. Yeah, they're not educated, they're not trained on them, they don't know they exist, they don't know how to use them, and so again, they do nothing. So essentially, they're talking the talk but not walking the walk. Yeah, and then you've got organisations who do both really well. Yeah, um, and I think for managers, in fairness to them, what we see is a very ad hoc approach, and often it comes down to personality. So yeah. some people are inherently more open, yep. will more inclined to act, have a different attitude to these things, but that's not what you want. A well-run organisation doesn't want to rely on the attitude of a particular manager. Yeah, they want everyone to be taking the same approach, yes. and that involves embedding the things, embedding the right systems, yeah, policies, procedures, and not just when there's a crisis. You know, it's got to be an everyday discussion. It's got to happen continually. Getting feedback from people getting people to feel comfortable with talking about how things are going, whether it's good or bad. And I guess that's the other thing with once it gets to a crisis, it's never too late, but there's been a crisis. So why not take those steps along the way to gather that feedback, to try and prevent things from happening? Um, Because as Dave has said, a complaint is not a bad thing, but it Mm. doesn't always have to get to that point. And we don't have to wait to train people and educate people on our crisis management. Yeah when there's a crisis exactly well, another thing that you're saying is like a complaint is a piece of feedback which can be really valuable but it's like we are so 
negatively geared that when we hear that we're just like oh it's some sort of attack on myself it's sort of like something that okay i'm not gonna like i shut off i won't listen to it properly so mindset i'm guessing is a big part of that and you're sort of saying a common mindset basically across all of the people in the organization to foster the right mindset to say to treat complaints as a source of feedback not to treat them as an attack on you exactly and i think the consistency there consistency creates certainty creates trust Mm. and i think if everyone in the organization is taught that that's how that's what's important to that particular organization and it definitely has to happen from the top down but it also has to happen from the bottom up you know Mm. employees have to feel that they've got a voice and that they can contribute and equally you know the trust goes both ways yeah tim i i really love that idea of mindset and um you, you've asked us about the mindset and i think that's something we love exploring with our clients and just generally um i think we're seeing this more and more but that idea of a of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and yeah. i, I I don't want to get Harvard Business Review cliched. Not ten things right now that you can do to <coughs> improve yeah. your business and yeah. sharpen your pencils, paint the paint the rooms green, and <laughs> and all of that kind of thing. Change the carpets. I, I'm not having a go at Harvard Business Review. There's lots of great stuff, but as you know, uh, the corporate world can get pretty buzzwordy. Yes, indeed. But I actually love that that concept of the fixed and growth mindset, and and I think <coughs> where we see it apply in our business is at that manager level and the organisational level. And to come back to that point about how you see a complaint or yep. an issue, yep. uh, and I think it plays out in such key ways there, because if you've got a growth mindset about about that, then you do see the opportunity mm. there. Yes, there's a problem. That's not good. And it, it can be bad. It can be disruptive. Yep. It can be costly. It can shoot through resources. And it, it can cause some damage. There's no doubt about that. There's no point in... in in pretending that that that's not a, a possibility, yeah, and sometimes it's inevitable, yeah. But I think the idea of just a simple, a simple concept of, well, now you know, so so that was happening anyway, yeah, and and before you knew, you didn't know, yeah, and you could do nothing about it, yeah. Th- there was no improvements were going to come from not knowing, yeah. If you've got a great system in place yes. and your staff are telling you these things, you find out about them. Yeah. And if you find out about them, you can make you can great yeah. changes. You can do something about them and you can improve. So one thing to come back, because I think that I'd like to dive a bit deeper into the whole trust component as well. But one thing that you said, Lee, that I think is, I've been spending a lot of time on this recently with a number of different companies, is the idea of making it clear about that sort of north star what is acceptable so everybody that clarity and certainty that everybody need in order to operate on that now whose responsibility does that come down to is it is it the c-suite is it at a board level a lot of the stuff that has traditionally happened when it comes to this like off the back of some crises that you know we've seen in the last couple of years with big banks and all the rest of it now everyone says oh yeah we definitely need to go and sort all this out and have the right processes in place and you see see the board talking about we're going to make these sweeping reforms etc how much of that is a box ticking exercise as opposed to has there been a narrative change in their heads to say this is actually a fundamentally important way of how we operate and therefore it's not just something we put in our annual report, it is actually the way we operate now because 
people at the very, you know, the ground level, again, if I want to put it like that, they're looking right up at the CEO. They want to know, they want to see the context set right there, but they want to see that context filter down from the CEO or board CEO, divisional heads, their manager. So whose responsibility is it then to make sure that the context is being set and that it's actually being followed on through? Well, I think you're right, Tim. It's organisations are definitely moving in that direction. And the reason they're doing it is because they have to. As we said before, it's the employee expectation. It's the publicity now surrounding organisations who get it wrong. Yep. No one wants to be that organisation in the paper yep. being crucified for how they've handled or not handled a particular situation. So that's why these things are being discussed at board levels because it is impacting profit, productivity, staff retention. Yep. It affects every area of the business when these things aren't dealt with in the right way. Yeah. So I think the discussions definitely need to happen with the decision makers because they're the ones that need to decide to affect that change. Yeah. But then in terms of implementation, it's going to be through the HR teams, through managers, through everyone in the organization because if everyone is not on board with you can't change attitudes overnight. Mm. And the only way you can do that and I hate to use this word and it's definitely one of the buzzwords Dave was talking about before but you have to take the whole organization on a journey yep. to show them that you want to be better yep. that you want to deal with these things as well as you can that you acknowledge that things will go wrong yes and people will be people and things will always go wrong but that when they do you want to learn from them and be better yeah and i think it's that accountability that organizations now are really understanding and employees are expecting and those two things are coming together to affect that change. How much more work do you think has to be done in this space, particularly around accountability? Because that's something that I, again, I hear a lot of and you sort of see, it depends again on where the context is set because if that accountability is something that stems right from the top of the organization, you see it flowing right down to every employee. Whereas when you don't have that, when you don't have the clarity and then you don't have the accountability, you notice that people at the, at the sort of the ground level, I keep referring to the ground level, but why would they be accountable for anything if they're not seeing it being led by up top effectively? So, I mean, how do we get better at particularly driving accountability within organizations about, and particularly around this feedback piece as well? Tim, I think one of my, uh, something I feel really strongly about, and, and this might be a little bit controversial, hopefully it's not too controversial. Hopefully it is. Uh, hopefully it is. <laughs> I get that. More subscribers. <laughs> hot, hot take. Um, but I think it's the idea around, and I, th I think you see this at a at a at a public level. All of us really, uh, the, the kind of public audience. But something that really is easily forgotten, and I don't think it should be or it's overlooked, is there needs to be something in these things for the business. There's mm -hmm. got to be something in it for the business. Yep. I think there's been a, a tendency with all the great shifts that have come about recently, and, and some of those are fantastic, absolutely yep. overdue, um, just incredibly positive changes yep. there. Yep. But I think sometimes we do have a tendency to overlook that these businesses are for profit and uh, success means longevity. It mm -hmm. means survival. You need to grow. And, and it creates a lot of jobs for a lot of people and, and keeps the economy going. I, yep. I don't want to get uh, too kind of 
fundamental about that, but, yep. but I think that, that can be forgotten sometimes because we now have foisted enormous expectations on businesses yep. to have zero mistakes, to put everything first, everything before profits, before, before performance. Some of those ideas are really important and it's great that we're, we're, we're seeking those mm-hmm. from businesses, but I think we just need to be a little bit careful where that's all we expect from them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what we see and something I, I do feel really strongly about is where you can help businesses see that it will drive performance, then it's just win, win, win across yep. the board. And, and that sounds maybe a little bit trite and a little bit utopian, but, but I actually don't think it is. And I think this is something you guys would see every day in terms of what you do. Uh, it is just one of those really rare rare spaces where all of this comes down to improved employee engagement right that at at its core if you get all of these things right your engagement goes up what we now know is that that level of engagement the higher engagement just drives enormous exponential growth patterns in your business yeah you've I, i often think about it uh it's a really tortured analogy i'll probably give you quite a few of those i I love taking an analogy and just really torturing it. Um, Let's do it. Let's Torture do it. Away. But that idea of, I think, getting businesses and, and staff to see a business as a car and your staff are the wheels and that's what gives power to the ground and, yep. and moves your business forward. Big staff have got a... Uh, big businesses have got a huge amount of wheels. Smaller businesses have got less star, uh, less wheels. I'm really torturing it myself here. Yep. But... The idea about that is, if you think about it in very uh, base terms, your staff are giving the power to the business and and driving performance, whatever you're doing, if it's a staff-based business, which a lot of businesses still are. I'm interested you went for the the tyres there rather than like the engine, like a bigger engine versus little engine. Uh, Because I I think that's less important. (laughs) Oh, really? And I'll tell you why, because it's then a scale game. Yeah. If you think about... Uh, your people in that way you want to get as much power to the ground as you possibly can because that's what will drive your business forward I think a lot of businesses particularly bigger businesses uh, because they have so many people working hard and and, and moving them forward Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of wheels that aren't working that well and the business still seems fine there's there's profit and there's there's progress and all of that kind of thing But I think what's really interesting there is if you look at that again and really focus on the wheels, uh, you can just see how much is being left on the table mm-hmm. because your engagement's down and I think people are then not giving their organisation their best. Yep. The reason all of this is relevant is because just to, to tie it off, Lily and I really do get excited and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same because it is one of those unique areas where <clears throat> the legal risk goes down. Mm-hmm. That's great. All yep. of that, the doom and gloom stuff, the crisis management, that, 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 that's fantastic. That's squared away, really yep. important. Yep. <clears throat> but you can also say this is going to short-term, medium-term, long-term yep. drive this business forward in ways that we actually couldn't really imagine before. Yeah. That's really interesting actually to think about that. And uh, Again, this notion of trust keeps coming up in my head as I hear all these things being talked about. Authenticity is obviously connected to that as well. If people can bring their authentic selves to work. So I think some of the concepts you were talking about there really comes down to how much of yourself do you actually bring to work. And we've had someone on the podcast previously that's talked about that, that 
people normally come into work with their blinkers on, nothing else. How is it that we can actually create more of a trusted environment for people? I think we talked a little bit about clarity before, you know, at least if you've got the clarity and certainty of, of where you're going. But how do you actually give people a sense of a sense of trust that they can have with the people that they work with, with the people that they can actually say something? It kind of comes back to the feedback conversation at the very beginning. But how do we instill trust in the teams so that they never feel like it has to then get to a point where you're doing a full-blown investigation. And this kind of comes back to a lot of the preventative stuff I know you guys talk about all the time, which is, you know, you don't want to just have to go in and do these large-scale things when it's, it's really nasty. It's like, well, let's actually adopt and employ tactics right now to get your people feeling like they can speak up, feeling like they have trust, feeling like they can be authentic. How do we do that? And it's, a, it's a small question, but you know, we'll see what you think. It's a, it's a small question, and sadly, uh, I've got a really boring answer. Okay. Um, I'm a lawyer, yeah. so well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I almost fell asleep before. It, so would, <laughs> it would be weird if it wasn't boring. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to ch- revert from the main too much there or change the main. But um, from where Lily and I sit, I think it's processes f- as a first step. Mm-hmm. That is a really boring answer, and it, it probably it is a bit lawyery. But but I I'll try to explain. The processes, if they're right, if your processes are right and your systems are right, it frees your staff and your business to then focus on listening, finding out what's happened and where necessary, making adjustments and improvements. If your systems aren't great or there's some confusion, it's not clear, it's not easily replicated, it's not consistent, they're hard to follow... Everyone does it a bit differently. Different teams do it a bit differently. You are already losing so much focus. Mm -hmm. You're losing time. And you will end up spending, let's face it, finite resources. All businesses have finite resources to spend on problems, no matter how big the problem is, uh, on dealing with that first. And it just doesn't have to be that way. The, The situations can be stressful enough and, and they can take a lot of focus but if you get those things right and you trust them and you know that your people are going through that process they feel really co- confident they feel really comfortable yep. they don't have to worry about have we taken all the right information in uh, have we have, are we supporting everyone in the right way uh, w- w- an understanding of the risk position all of those kind of things it just means straight away you can pivot to looking at the problem and saying, right, what have we heard and, and what can we do about this to, to make sure it doesn't happen again and also make sure everyone right here, right now is, is feeling safe and comfortable. Yep. And I feel like this has actually brought us almost full circle, uh, which is probably a, a good place that we can kind of wrap up with. But from your own personal perspectives, what are the things that you do when you're actually going in yourselves and talking to people to create effectively a a level of psychological safety for the people that you're talking to that they can actually open up what are the sort of techniques that you use that other managers could think about start to employing today rather than having to you know it doesn't need to be a masterclass, but something that they can go oh there's two or three things that i could actually start doing today to create that level of feeling amongst my team to open up and tell me what they really think Uh, for me i think number one is not to be judgmental so if we were to go into an organisation that might have some issues and make them feel bad about that would be such a bad place to start yep. because 
everyone has issues. Every organisation is going to have issues. And the fact that they are getting us in there because they want to be better yep. is really the key thing. And that's what they should be applauded for doing. And so not to be judgmental and judging the situation that someone's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think being honest and open about the fact that things have gone wrong but there are ways we can fix it and again it's all focusing around just wanting to be better than where you are yeah i really love lil's answer there tim and that that's all the major points i just wanted to add one thing which i think is really important and it comes down to lil's comment about honesty i think it can be really helpful when you go in within your own team or Mm -hmm. if you're doing things internally be really open with the staff about some of the legal risks and and some of the reputational risks and 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 i i just want to make that really clear you don't want to say oh this should influence the the outcomes but i think it's really important just to create some understanding with all the participants that there are slightly different objectives with these things so something really obvious you need to look after the person who's made the complaint but you also need to look after the person who the complaint's been made against yeah the tendency obviously is to focus on the the person who's made the complaint are they okay are they being supported all of that kind of thing yeah but legally and everything else from a duty of care and and just generally uh you also need to a realize that the complaint hasn't been looked at completely yet so you don't know whether uh, yep. it's it uh, how how much of it is is correct and 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 what part of that needs to be looked at and and b uh you do have responsibilities and obligations to to everyone participating yeah and you have responsibilities to the business and i think the more honest you are about that the better the outcomes are of yep. of, of, of those investigations um because a it's the truth and 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 B, I think where people feel where we see things break down a little bit is where the people involved think that the outcomes are solely focused on them. Yep. So you guys are going to do everything within your power to fix this situation for me or for Tim mm-hmm. or for Lily, who, whoever's whoever's there. If someone comes in and says it's happened to my friend or my my colleague. Yep. yep. And that absolutely should be a focus. But just that idea of a business isn't the police. It, it doesn't have... It, it has slightly different objectives. It's not the state. It's not a government. Mm-hmm. They do have responsibilities to stakeholders, to shareholders. Uh, they have legal risk to take care of, yep. all of those kind of things. Just fleshing that out a little bit at the start can really manage expectations there. And I think what we see often is people can really find that process very problematic where their expectations haven't been matched yep and i think part of that is potentially people misconceiving sometimes what the process is all about Mm -hmm. and just some of the different elements for the people that are freaking out right now listening to you going oh my god this is like this is still pretty hectic stuff um how do we avoid getting there in the first place so the things you're mentioning there about <clears throat> saying if this is getting to a point where there's actually been a complaint made and and people are sort of setting the boundaries how do we avoid even getting 
there in terms of how managers, how we have to behave with one another to solicit feedback before it actually gets to a complaint stage, what are the things that people should be thinking about doing? I've got one last tortured analogy for you. You'll be happy to know. Here we go. I don't want to leave without giving you one, Good. one more. Uh, but something that Lil and I love just... And we talk about that. I think the analogies, I'm, I'm being a bit silly about them, but sometimes they can just be really helpful to explore with clients and, and on, on uh, podcasts like this just to, because I think we can all relate to them and, and mm-hmm. kind of understand them a little bit better. But I think something that really encapsulates some, some, some great ideas there is that idea of traditionally, I think there's been a sense that employees, if you think about owning a property, a business is a property, employees have been treated and act like tenants. You don't expect tenants to come in and paint the walls. You don't expect them to fix the taps. You don't expect them to add to the overall value of the property. Mm -hmm. The value is going to people higher up and the owners of the business, shareholders, all of that kind of thing. I think historically that's where business has has sat in in some ways. Not all businesses, absolutely, but... It's actually a pretty good analogy. I like that. Thank you. Um, One in a (laughs) hundred something's got to land. Uh, But... I think the idea of businesses shifting, which we're seeing across the board, there's yeah. no doubt about that. I'm sure you guys are really interested in that kind of idea as well. I think it's the core of what you guys do. Uh, but that idea of seeing your people, your staff as property owners, as owners, because just to wrap that up uh, in a really silly way, they will come in and paint the walls. Mm. They will come in and fix the taps. And if you think about having a hundred people in a house mm. who are either tenants or owners, mm. they have such different outcomes. If they're all owners, that house is going to be fantastic yep. because they're all realizing some value yep. from it. And I think the way we s- you see that day-to-day in a business, again, to come back to the idea of engagement, you're getting people's best ideas. Yeah, doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter what team they're in, whether they're C-suite, whether they've been to... Harvard Business School, yep. or uh, or they've they've got a a, a kind of less uh, strategic job. Mm-hmm. You'll get people coming in and saying, "Hey guys, uh, just to let you know, we, we might not have enough fridges in the in the, in the rec room," and people are getting annoyed because they can't bring their lunch in, and and yep. uh, they they they're going out and buying it more, and and mm-hmm. that's a bit frustrating for them. It's a really silly example, but where you've got a situation where people are coming up with those ideas, it's a robust conversation where people mm-hmm. feel free to go, I thought of this and maybe we can do this better and yep. business doesn't have to always say, yep, fantastic, we're, let, let, let's they can get at least that listen. started. They can, they can raise it and you have, I know it's really cliched, but that exponential because you, you've then got just multiples of ideas, conversations mm. and, and, and people actively looking for ways to improve. Mm. Yep. And I was just going to add, completely agree with everything Dave said there. In terms of going back to the actual preventative steps that you can take, prevention needs action. Mm. So you're not going to prevent anything from happening if you do nothing. If you sweep things under the carpet, they're always going to come back. It might be an easy solution in the short term, but in the longer term, that's not going to prevent anything from happening and it's really going to speed up the process of things going wrong. So... If you then focus on prevention needing action, what is the action? The action is to empower your people with knowledge, clear systems, you know, it's the same boring answer, but clear systems, clear processes, so that people know what they're supposed to do. 
because when people don't know what they're supposed to do, they're going to default to what they're comfortable doing and yeah. probably what they're comfortable doing is nothing. Yep. So if you can empower your people with knowledge, proper training, proper support so that they know what's expected of them and know how to act, that is the best way to prevent things from going wrong. Well, that's a great, I think that is a great uh, note to end that on as well, just in terms of that preventative action, because I think so many managers out there at the moment, so many other people just don't generally know how to approach this stuff. And I think that this is one of the biggest waves we're currently seeing, that there's a huge identification that the fact that we're in a bit of a management crisis and leadership crisis, and I think that that can only lead to hopefully positive action off the back of it. But Lily, David, thank you very much for joining us today. And if uh, anybody on the show would like to find out a bit more about them, we'll put some information in the show notes for you. But for now, guys, thank you for joining us. On the Thanks, of Tim. Thanks, Tim. We really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of The Science of Us. If you'd like to learn more about Lily or David or Enterprise Investigations, check out the show notes. And if you like what you heard, it'd mean a lot to us if you could subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. The Science of Us is proudly brought to you by Helix. www.helix.com Helix is a simple and powerful listening tool that supports the mental well-being of your team no matter where they are. Check out the website to learn more. A big thank you as always to our editor and senior producer, John Claude Rad. For without John Claude Rad, there wouldn't be this show. We'll see you next time on the science of us.